0: The question of whether progress has taken place is not a matter of faith or having an optimistic temperament or seeing the glass half full. It's a testable hypothesis. For all their differences, people largely agree on what goes into human well-being.
1: Life, health, sustenance, prosperity, peace, freedom, safety, knowledge, leisure, happiness. All of these things can be measured. If they have improved over time, that, I submit, is progress. Let's go to the data. Hello, friends, and welcome to Mandatory Redistribution Party. I'm Sean Morley. And my name is Jack Lewis-Evans. Today's episode is about having a normal one. Tell me, Jack, have you been having a normal one? No, I remain permanently abnormal. I am weird. Oh, and is that creating any barriers for you in your life? (laughs) Yes. It's the first episode of 2022, and we're so glad things are back to normal. Unless... Normal is bad, in which case it's back to the drawing board. Today we're talking about the plasticity of political possibilities and the myth of progress.
0: Covid is so 2020 and it's 2022 now. Let's just, everyone get over it, okay? And get back to normal. Remember, like before Covid, when everything was incredible.
1: And if you want to be more normal, why not pledge a normal tithe to our Patreon on patreon.com slash mandatory redistribution party to unlock a trove of additional normal morsels, including one of my favourite additional convos where Jack goes on a full rant about his struggles
0: stacking tins of baked beans. Or if you want to be abnormal, you can help promote our podcast by getting a forehead tattoo and trying Wake to get up a new... up, Jack! Jack, wake up! You're about uh, to miss the opening what, ceremony. What, sh- sh- John, what year is this?
1: Where am I? It's 2012. We're at the Olympics. You mean none of the last 10 years was real? Everything is perfect again! That's exactly what I mean. Hey, do you want to have a cough with me? It's safe. Wahoo! <coughs> Wahoo! <coughs> yeah! <coughs> I'm bored
0: of this now, Sean.
1: Yeah, you had enough. I've had enough. You're putting it on notice. I'm
0: telling it. Oi, listen here. It's time to get back to normal now. New normal. I, I say no normal. Well, yeah, the problem now no is that everything's normal. being
1: run by children, right? It's just it's just children yeah. everywhere. If we can get <laughs> just one adult, everything would snap <laughs> back to how I remember it. Yeah, the halcyon
0: the, days of 2012.
1: All the paintings completely like. Clean against the wall. None yeah. of this. None of this scruff. No handprints. No jam on the kitchen counter. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, we're all fucking sick of COVID, right? Because it's shit. But there are so many people who are like, I just want to go back to normal. I, I want it to go back to normal, and that's like the level our desire is capped at. We've gone from maybe, and you know, the, I think the most um, powerful th- thing. In that Corbynism era, it felt like the future could be better, mm. and that was a good feeling. Like the feeling of I can I can imagine a possible world where things improve because I think most of us feel just like everything is getting well. Our, our adult lives are experience of everything getting shitter and worse. Mm-hmm. That was crushed, crushed that like an ant, um, and then also the coronavirus makes everything feel worse. And now people have recalibrated to it's almost like an expression of optimism to get back to normal as in like pre-covid normal which was let's remember shit
1: it's like the the 2019 door knocking left have had this like double dip hope recession where it's like <laughs> the the avenues of possibility yeah, yeah, yeah. have now swung shut violently like yeah, a yeah. door being closed by a poltergeist <laughs>
0: yeah. it wasn't just the general action loss and then COVID, and then among, uh, inside COVID, everything yeah. Starmer's doing. So
1: it's not only like, okay, nothing can get better, and now nothing can get better while there is a virus. <laughs> the, the timing couldn't be better. And so, yeah. yeah, like, it's, okay, well, I can't hope for hope, but I can hope for a reversal of the last bad thing. That's, <laughs> that's now optimism. Optimism has been rounded right down. To control Z. To, yeah just being like can i just not have the last bad thing and to me <laughs> and to me that feels like utopianism
0: <laughs> yeah you see people still talking about and this isn't the this categorically is not the door knocking label after 2017 or 19 this is the, the our favorite centrist journalist types blue ticked to the fucking hilt with their nostalgia for, like, the 2012 Olympics or, like, this idea that uh, that that was, like, the good old days, if only we Mm. could go back to 2012.
1: I always find the 2012 Olympics stuff really confusing because, like, what you can say for, like, rose-tinted glasses boomer memorialising of their good old days is at least it was a a time period, at least it was, like, an era to speak of, (laughs) whereas what centrists have is, like, a ceremony that lasted... Less than an hour. <laughs> it's like well the good old days is like one sitting looking at <laughs> one thing.
0: Thing because because if you go below the surface of that, if you widen your scope beyond the 2012 Olympics opening ceremony or the 2012 Olympics more generally, then you start to realise everything was really shit. Like 2012 was like austerity's really really starting to bite. Bedroom tax. Um Not long after a m- massive protests in london, there's a side of things thats like wants the Olympics in general to be this like nice oh, everyone's coming together, and it's just about sports like well, no, it is riddled with n- the twin evils of nationalism and consumerism. You can get like a gas and electric deal with the Olympic logo on it or mm. a set of like nappies with the Olympic logo on it. Coca cola and McDonald's were involved as sponsors mm-hmm. for the Olympics. So you got 1936 Olympics, which I know Weimar got, but then Hitler used it to serve his own ends, right? And then you had the whole fucking Cold War. So this idea of like, oh, it's about people coming together. The Olympics and the Cold War was like fierce competition between Mm. the Soviets and the Americans who were both doing... fucked up stuff to their athletes to win this like propaganda sports day. But then the, the specific 2012 London Olympics, gentrification, militarized policing and also soldiers, you know, they deployed soldiers. It had like the mm-hmm. most, it was the biggest deployment of UK armed forces in like one place since like the Suez crisis or something. <laughs> Honestly, it was like twenty
1: thousand soldiers, and didn't they have to? Because obviously, they brought in soldiers because they just didn't have enough like metropolitan police. Like they just wanted to shore up all the security forces. Yeah. G4s, I think, had a massive contract massive contract. contract. With them. Yeah, 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 yeah. And also because there was just they it, they clearly had plans for it to be bigger than they could like supply the labour <laughs> to do. Yeah. They bust in loads of job seekers, people to do like uh... free work. I think some of them had to like sleep out in the cold. They just wow. got like slaves, you know, <laughs> slaved in. Yeah, they got slaved in. You're not wet. You're never going to send in the armor when you're not also sending in the slaves, right? That's Fucking the British no. government 101.
0: Well, and then the opening ceremony as well, like presented a certain version, like a kind of liberal Britain of like, mm-hmm. oh, the NHS, etc. And then there were people at the time, the Daily Mail definitely called it like communist propaganda. This is even more communist propaganda than the Beijing games. What did they want? Did they want like Danny Boyle to do a thing celebrating the British Empire?
1: Yeah, just like a who's who of where we went and stuck bayonets into indigenous people.
0: Giant statistic on a screen with Mr Bean dancing underneath of it. That 1600. Britain controls 0% of the global slave trade. 1700, Britain controls 50% of the global slave trade. So there's obviously, there's you know, there's people who are more villainous than the, the centrist dads who fetishize this. I don't, I mean, and do you remember Osborne getting booed at the Paralympics? Mm. That was actually, that, that's that's That good. was spicy. Yeah, that, that was, was nice. Yeah, yeah, more of that. But the idea to return to a good, like as if there was a good thing. I mean, even like the 90s, what do they mean?
1: Yeah, they just, they not it's going to be pure Freddo discourse again. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what I mean. That's the point I was making earlier. It's like, yeah. it's the ultimate expression of what like hope looks like. Yeah. It doesn't look like being in an era or being in like a time and place. It's specifically being in a stadium, not being allowed to like go outside and wander around and see what it's like outside. Yeah. It's having your attention focused in to a, Theatrical retelling of your own history, so so (laughs) what erases
0: empire, and you are protected by twenty thousand troops around the outside. Exactly. So
1: it's a kind of distorted nostalgia, but for another distorted nostalgia, you want to you want to misremember what it was like being at the Olympics, watching other people misremember the history of Britain. That's the like you want to be in this kaleidoscope of different people distorting history Mm. back at you. That's what people, that's the good old days. <laughs>
0: yeah. Fucking hell. I mean, even the whole like Brit pop 90s thing, you know, like Union Jacks mm. everywhere, so much of that was just like rehashed 1960s stuff.
1: Like the fact that Cool Britannia is called Cool, cool Britannia, which is a riff on Rule Britannia, like yeah. a song of, about empire. It's just like,
0: <laughs>
1: we don't need warships, we've got the Spice Girls.
0: <laughs> Fucking hell. It, it is fucked though, like that nostalgia thing. And we see it in the, you know, in the former Soviet Union, the boomers there are like, oh, it would be better if the Soviet Union still existed. And like mm. as much as people want to frame that as like, they prefer that version of communism to capitalism. It's just that part of the world's version of nostalgia here. Mm. Because and nostalgia is the natural conclusion because everything is getting worse.
1: And also whenever we talk about no- like old people being nostalgic, there's going to be some survivorship bias because... The people that that society that they're being nostalgic to was the worst to probably isn't around to be nostalgic for it.
0: Yeah, and they're not nostalgic for Well, you know, the stuff that has improved, um, though, is not by any means fixed Like, like on, on the fronts of like, gender or race, for example. And again, this is, this is the thing with um, the centrist dad romanticization of the Blair era and uh, up, to, up to 2012. You know, it's middle class nostalgia. Because mm. the new labor era, as much as like public spending was higher, there was still like an extremely horrible culture around being working class or being unemployed. You know, those Mr. Ons adverts of people chasing benefits cheats. We will find you when you have your chip buddy. Yeah. You will be apprehended. I've got no fucking nostalgia for my mum having two jobs and me having a paper mm. round. They aren't good memories. <laughs>
1: I can't think of an era where I'd want to, you know, the idea that you're looking for like political possibilities of what the future could be and people would be like, just do the past again. It's like, isn't that, isn't that the most myopic idea you could possibly yeah. have? Let's just do the past again.
0: And it, I guess it comes back to exactly the same thing you are saying, uh, you know, we were saying about the Olympics of like, it's this surface level uh, understanding of like just how things look and respectability Mm. and the aesthetics and the performance of politics. And that is why right now the apps, you know, we don't really understand. uh, We don't really talk about news stuff on the podcast a lot, but that whole stuff of like Johnson, just all these parties, et cetera, they are baffled because every single one, they're like, this is going to get him. This is the one because (laughs) for them, the aesthetic and the performance of politics is like the most important thing. You know, like a lot of the reason they didn't like Trump was, the aesthetics of Trump and how he broke the norms of what mm. grown-up politics is supposed to be. Whereas, like, if you tell them, like, oh, well, Biden's um, there's more migrants locked up under Bi- Biden <laughs> than Trump, they're like, "Oh, he's trying his best" or something. Because they, you know, they like the aesthetics. Yeah, these of are Biden good cages. These, yeah, these cages are kind. <laughs> yeah, they're like glass instead of rusty metal or something. It's a nostalgia for total surface-level stuff the veneer of a thing you can only have a nostalgia for that veneer because you were not affected by the stuff underneath it Mm. because you didn't fucking know anyone that was like disabled or impoverished didn't fucking know anyone that was a fucking like a ridiculous prison sentence for being in the 2011 riots you don't know but you were what like sending the army that's what you wanted
1: restore order. order and it feels like you know Going hand-in-hand hand with the 2012 Olympics, the nationalism that goes underneath it is that people don't like Johnson because they feel like he's an embarrassment to the country and they want the country to be respectable, right? They want
0: cool Britannia.
1: One <laughs> thing they really hate, like centrists really hate when, like, they see, like, a German sketch show make fun of the UK. That was, like, one of the big arguments, yeah. like, against Brexit of, like, look what the German papers are saying. We are being mocked in the playground of <laughs> Europe. <laughs> and it's like well the country's not really a person there are people in the yeah. country that we you know we could put our focus on what is life like for the people in this country but i think that uh, that's just not a popular pod project no, and no. it is a difficult project for i definitely say newspaper media because newspaper media needs to churn and <laughs> you, you churn stories you don't churn like You don't churn what the ONS is saying about the quality of life Mm -hmm. in the UK. What you can churn is stories about people. And as much as I don't really like those kind of Freud's analysis of what humanity wants with regards to society, it does feel like a lot of people are just looking for a big parent to come and soothe them. And when they feel that the parent is in distress (laughs) or not soothing them, they demand another parent. (laughs) They want to be soothed. They want to have their hair stroked back, be told it's okay, and then it can just be going back to puff pieces about new spending projects that will eventually be cancelled.
0: But all the money goes to G4S and BlackRock.
1: All the money goes to this (laughs) newly formed company that we don't know where it's come from, but it's going to take care of all our infrastructural needs. Oh, no, it's gone bankrupt, and we don't know where that money's gone.
0: (laughs) We signed a contract that says we're not allowed to ask.
1: I found just the perfect person for dealing with all of our new plumbing across the country. And they happen to live next door.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Do you just want to go back to 2012 Olympics, but with COVID as like this background radiation? Because all of the things that made stuff really bad then, like austerity, privatized NHS, fucked up care homes, like it being horrible to disabled people, None of that stuff is good for COVID. Mm. Not Never mind COVID, week and a half of flu type COVID. I mean like, you know, people who are suffering with long COVID, which is thousands of people, right? Over
1: a million. It's like... In November, it was 2% of the population. So that was before like the massive winter spike. So it's probably more now.
0: Well, there's all kinds of... There's stuff it can do to your lungs, stuff it can do to your heart, stuff it can do to your personality.
1: It can go into your brain and change your perception of like basic sensations. We don't know the full extent of what it does to you. But one, one thing we do know is it like massively kits people out with a big bag of fatigue. Yeah. You know, as much as return to normal is placating people who want to live lives more similarly to how they did before Mm. and also placate businesses by allowing them to turn back to making as much profit as they can. And landlords who want their office rent, they want their commercial rent. (laughs) Commercial rents as well. With a workforce that like, over 2% of them are massively fatigued and yeah. just ill with a thing that is not 100% understood. What's the long-term economic effect of that going to be especially now that we're doing plan nothing. Yeah. Quite if if you're coming with a mindset of back to normal it requires you to learn no lessons because if you're learning a lesson you're not going back to normal. Yeah. You're you're going into the future. And people don't want to go to the future because that's where COVID is. They want to go back to the past where COVID wasn't.
0: We put COVID in the same category as other illnesses that we've also just sort of ignored.
1: <laughs> yeah. And like, yeah, it goes back to, like, oh, it's just like the winter flu. The winter flu kills loads of people every year. It's like, yeah, because loads of pensioners are really poor and can't heat their houses. Yeah. So it's not like <laughs> a good on you winter flu. Let's, that's a sign that there are people living in bad conditions, have bad immune systems. They could use better support. We could get those flu deaths yeah. down if if we invested the time and energy into it. So we don't wanna then lump another disease on like, these deaths are acceptable. Yeah. So the easiest thing for me to do is raise my bar of what I think an acceptable death count is, yeah.
0: And the other thing is the people who are like, oh, actually, really, I really wanna be back in the office. Like if that's you, like obviously the social aspects of work and for, for, for leftist projects, work and workers as groups have been crucial to organizing over centuries, right? and that's, that is hardest to do. I speak as someone who is a union rep, it is harder to organize as a union rep, just electronically, right? Sure, I know there's downsides to working from home because you're going to be paying for more electricity and heating that your boss mm-hmm. isn't going to be, et cetera, et cetera. Giving people that choice if they are able to do so, and I know it's a privilege because it's only certain jobs that are able to do that. Sure, if that choice is there, why make people come in other than as, as a means of like discipline and control and rent mm-hmm. back to normal? Back to shit.
1: And it makes you think about what culture we had about people going into work sick before. Now oh, that going Christ. into work sick, now that going to work sick is like, oh, you're really gonna make people like you could make people quite ill with this. Yeah. It reminds you that like, oh before all of us would go to places sick. Uh-huh. I fulfilled every obligation I had to do when I was sick because I just did not consider it socially a reason to not go and do something.
0: Chance to reevaluate how we treat sickness. I mean, and there's there is a bit of a divide between self-employed people where like the work has to get done or you don't get paid. You know, yeah. like that trap, and also you know, or and that that self-employedness ex, extends to so many people. But then the other side of it, of like when you're inside uh, an employment hierarchy, you know, like I as union rep, so my, I work at a college, and in that context if you have three absences within a year that triggers a meeting with hr Mm. which you should always take your union rep to if you have to have a meeting with hr they sit across a table from another adult and it's like you know and what were you doing then Mm. and why was that that puts pressure on you then doesn't it to to drag yourself in when you might not be better and then you're going to make other people even even from fucking HR's discipline in the workers' perspective, mm. you can't want people to come in and spread an illness to the rest of the workforce. Why but do then, you want to you then, know, of workforce course, ill? Sorry, yeah, I've just realised they don't mind if they're ill if they're in. So if you come yeah. in and then all of those people feel the same obligation put on them by HR to be in, then they don't give a shit because you're you're ill but you're in. So they don't actually care about your suffering or your health or your colleague's health. They just want them attendance stats as high as possible.
1: But it also feels like that prioritises in over productivity. Yeah, yeah, productivity yeah, yeah. is like managerialism is just be where I can see you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The end product can be shit. I mean, are we, I mean <laughs> everyone's had experiences managers who just meddle, yeah. waste loads of people's time because they're getting queries or they're getting meddling or they're getting interference, and you could just do your work better if they did not do that. You do not know why they're around. But it is more important that people are in and surveilled than it is for them to carry out the function that their job is even if that would like improve profits and you could scale that all the way up right because economically prevention especially when it comes to healthcare, prevention is a lot cheaper than putting you know tens of thousands of people on ventilators mm-hmm. but that is not what we've chosen to
0: do but sean you know what you couldn't do over zoom the 2012 olympics <laughs> that's true you couldn't do that over zoom <laughs> no the free trial will time you out after 40 minutes <laughs>
1: <laughs> just as Brunel is looking over the empire yeah. going that's a thumbs up from me lads from high fiving <laughs> Mr Bean <laughs> I want to ask you a question is the world getting better or worse there's a big question what do you reckon what's your gut response actually forget the guts Let's not consult the stomach. What is your brain doing? Are you thinking about your life? Are you thinking about the news? Are you thinking about the tone of convo on social media? Are you thinking about your friends, your family, your colleagues? What's your impression of their quality of life? Are there more visible, rough sleepers than before? How many children do you see flying kites these days? When was the last time you saw someone say, God bless you? When I was eight years old, my aunt took me to meet Rolf Harris. But in 2020, 5G made my cat go blind. Last week, I lost my burgers in the park. And when I went looking for them, they were gone. That's crazy, right? What's going on these days? What's going on with the world? I just can't get my head around it. Oh, my God, I'm as mad as hell. And I'm just not going to stand for it anymore. It's difficult. You need to get far away from your own experiences. You need to feel the graph paper beneath your skin. You need the warm sensation of sticking your arm deep into a cloth sack of data. If you go looking for big answers, you'll find a surprising amount of consensus. The New Yorker, the BBC, New Scientist, Forbes, the Cato Institute, all coo reassuringly through their search engine optimized fortresses of knowledge. Do not fear, Little Sparrow, the world is improving. You will meet the figureheads for a movement, New Optimism, including Steven Pinker and Jordan Peterson, disgraced academics who sound like they're trying to do an impression of each other. In his 2018 TED talk, Is the world getting better or worse? A look at the numbers. Steven Pinker shows us that the world is improving using graphs these graphs are simple and compelling. Infant mortality is decreasing. Lifespans are increasing. Happiness is up. Murders are down. Smiles are at an all time high. Figures for people saying good morning are off the dang charts. The problem is data is an objective when it's selected to make an argument. Pinker noticing that the West is getting wealthier and presenting it like it is an unalloyed good without investigation of where this wealth is coming from, that's not objective. For instance, medicine has improved dramatically, but simply charting a graph of human longevity doesn't really tell you much about the complex state of healthcare access. A world where only the rich get decent healthcare will still trend lifespans upwards as technology improves, but it vanishes away the stories of people in poverty, suffering dying on waiting lists under crumbling health services, disabled people forced into work and then dying after being unable to afford the power to refrigerate their insulin. Instead, we fall into the problems that all utilitarian attempts to reduce complex stories into data fall prey to. The kind of perverse incentives that would release reports that life gets better for the workers the moment the suicide nets go up. After all, they're not killing themselves anymore. What can I say? These tired workers, they just love nets. These dudes are gaga for mesh. Can you imagine Steven Pinker giving this TED talk in the robot pod world from The Matrix, where everyone just lives in a little green pod to be harvested for bioenergy? Today, I want to talk about the data. Road traffic accidents are nil. Longevity is at an all-time high. Our prisons are empty. What's that? Get back into my pod, okay? Ow. Ow! 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 Let's say I run a little country and I just want a few slaveys for a treat. Maybe I'm only going to enslave 5% of the country as slaves. Obviously, they're going to be having a shit time, but everyone else. Wow, we're having a good one. We're richer, we're healthier, we're happier. Wahoo! Watch those numbers trend up to the moon. And what do we do with other inconvenient consequences of this kind of progress? Like when the climate change ghost comes to eat us. Whoops. Progress is not an objective quantifiable quality because we don't all want the same things. People sacrifice a lot for stuff like freedom, autonomy, or justice. Whether it's the tribal sentinese people who refuse medicines and technology because they want to be left alone. To your Brexit voting haulage uncle who voted for their country to be poorer and weaker because they believed in some fevered ideal about sovereignty and independence and and whatever it was. What about Amish people, Gypsy and Roma travelers? When Pinker tells us that progress looks like having a dishwasher, how do we deal with communities that don't conform to that idea of what modernity and progress looks like? Do we have to conclude they simply lead bad lives? Do they need saving? One of my ideals is that it's worse to suffer injustice than it is to suffer from an act of God. If a child dies because it is picked up by an eagle and dropped into a dinosaur's mouth i'll think that fucking sucks isn't the world such an unfair chaotic horrible inhospitable place a meaningless darwinian landscape of talons and blood what's the fucking point well then i don't know i'll get over it you know i can't stay mad at an eagle If a child dies because there aren't enough hospital beds because the hospital is underfunded I'll think that fucking sucks. Isn't the world such an unfair, chaotic, horrible, inhospitable place? But it doesn't have to be. This was the result of people making choices. It feels so easy, so possible to do things differently in this circumstance. And that's why this view of progress has no imagination, it has no ambition. It compares homicide rates with the Middle Ages and then tells me I should be grateful to be poor in 2022 because I'm not dying of the Black Death. It's the politics of the Four Yorkshiremen sketch offered up as a feel-good pep talk for the amorality of Western liberalism. Crouching down next to a homeless man outside of Morrison's and saying, well, at least we haven't been press ganged into one of King Charles's ridiculous wars. The tone of this debate reminds me of my housemate at university, who conspiratorially said to me, You can say what you want about feminism, but it's men who built the pyramids. Well you know what, men did build the pyramids. Do you like pyramids? I've never heard you talk about pyramids before. I'm not a big pyramid guy, and it's not the first thing I'd think about when someone talks about feminism. Would an equal society between men and women not build enough pyramids for you? And how can you know that? We're not exactly flush with pyramids at the moment. Patriarchy is not keeping up its promises to the pyramid caucus. And unless you think feminism is going to start destroying pyramids, I feel like the number is going to remain pretty stable. That guy is now a staff writer for The Now Show. New optimism relies on the flat objectivity of data to cast concerns about the future not just as wrong, but groundless pessimistic doomsaying, irrational, biased, prejudiced. Change is not only bad, it is
0: mad. I have found that intellectual
1: Jack, if you close your eyes okay, and take a big nostril breath, I hear nostril breaths are the, the better v- variant, and if you imagine a better future, doesn't have to be a perfect future, yeah. just your preferred better future, you're out, you're
0: on a jaunt, Okay. what can you see around you? What does it look like? Okay, I can see a large sort of screen. Yeah, OLED? It's not even OLED, it is like holographic.
1: So, oh, if you look yeah. at it
0: from a different angle, if I looked at it from like, the left, I'd be able to see the right, the, the right side of someone's face if they were on the screen. Right, right. You know what I mean? It has three dimensional space. It's like a Nintendo 3DS. It's like a Nintendo 3DS, but big. Can
1: okay, you have imagined a big 3DS? <laughs>
0: and like 8K, super, super HD. Um, uh-huh. Everything's like nice and calm, and there's like nice, comfy carpet. Okay, you're in a building? No outdoor carpet no no we're inside <laughs> we're inside but, um, but we're not in a building everyone's everyone's trying their best and living their best lives <laughs> you can sense that from can you <laughs> well I know because I know them I, they're my they're my colleagues they're my friends
1: oh right you're um, right with the work and friends do
0: yeah <laughs> yeah um, we're just going <laughs> we're going on adventures <laughs>
1: I've got a lot of questions about these adventures.
0: <laughs>
1: Do you mean like long journeys? What's an adventure?
0: You know, because everything's sorted. We don't have to worry about all the stuff, you know, uh-huh. it's post-scarcity. No, i not worrying about that. It's not clear. I'm not clear how that's been sorted out, but it has, Sean. It's been sorted.
1: Mm-hmm. Infinite energy, infinite everything.
0: Yeah. So we're just like, you know... Going on adventures because we can now.
1: Okay, let me just summarize the total of this world. So we've got a massive hologram surrounded by carpet.
0: Well, the carpet, the hologram's at the front and then the carpet Uh comes down. And there's some nice, like, sort of walnut stuff around. Oh, that's good. Yeah, posh wood. If you want to do, you know, if you don't want to do your thing on the big screen and you want to do your own thing, then you've got Uh like a sort of iPad.
1: Have you found imagining an ideal future easy or difficult?
0: Does remembering the set of Star Trek The Next Generation count as, rem- as imagining the future? <laughs> is that what this is? Yes. <laughs> right. Over my head. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know I've never seen a so ser- <laughs> well,
0: That's what I was like. I'm just going to bluntly describe this and see how mad it sounds to Sean. And the answer was I, very mad. Do you know what? The thing...
1: Do you know I didn't want to be pedantic. There's this thing that caught in my mind and you're like, you're inside but it's not a building. And I was just thinking, Jack hasn't articulated himself very well. I'm not going to pull him up on that. But now I realise that was fully intentional. Because when you said that, I'm like... What's that? That's, all, that's not important. <laughs> Inside Bernard buildings, not important. <laughs> that has now clicked.
0: <laughs> I, I think, obviously, talking, you know, we put your silly utopian science fiction aside. It's tricky for people to imagine better stuff. I mean, even when people, you know, we talk about like, say, green energy or like climate discourse, a lot of it is like, the means by which we just maintain the exact ways of living we have now, but just paint them green. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like electric cars. It's like, are cars actually the best means of transport for building a society and building infrastructure around? Mm, Probably not. And then just same amount of energy use, but the energy is renewable. Mm. Mm, Probably not. Everything
1: stays exactly the same, but a certain consumer base can act with less guilt. (laughs) (laughs) that's that's hope yeah hope is a label you need to like (laughs) furiously look at your products to see if it's present
0: (laughs) imagining the future is difficult and i think it's a it's a burden placed i think upon the radical left to have a blueprint for this like perfect future ready packaged when of course any social and economic system that's developed previously has developed over a very long time Someone didn't just come up with feudalism. Mm. Uh, no one
1: pitched it. There was never a dragon's den for feudalism. No. <laughs> what, they just surrender most of their crops? Well, wh- why? Why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. why would they want to? <laughs> Wouldn't they rather have to have that themselves? No. What's, the, what's the Lord giving them? <laughs> How big is the Lord's house? <laughs> and where are they living?
0: yeah. Yeah, no, well, there'll uh, be a
1: revolt listen so I, haven't, I haven't
0: told you about the king yet king yeah I mean, they're like the lord of the lords what <laughs>
1: what and who's the peasant the lord of
0: uh... <laughs> 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 I mean say, say like capitalism if you were living under feudalism mm. and then someone said a limited company <laughs> and you're like it's like shareholders limited liability yeah you'd be like uh, uh?
1: <laughs> you tried to tell them about an NFT, they would gut you with a pitchfork.
0: Yeah, or even As would I? Yeah, <laughs> we do that anyway. Um, yeah. We're just very good at hiding the bodies. Even even stuff from early capitalism. If you explain that to like a peasant, even stuff from early you know the overlap of feudalism and capitalism. If you if you took like the East India Company and and explained that in like 1690 to mm-hmm. someone rolling around in the dirt. I wouldn't pick that. No, individual. you won't pick that. Or maybe even pick <laughs> all right, okay, go pick a go talk to a priest or something who's who is yeah, like yeah. Lit, lit, literate. A monk. Um then they're even they're going to be like, "What the f- what the fuck are you talking about?" Yeah.
1: You're losing me here a bit.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there is a there is a certain burden to have this like perfectly complete blueprint upon leftists, which I don't, I don't think should necessarily exist. Anything good? that's ever been done has been achieved by people who believe that the world can be better mm. against all odds. And also a lot of fucked up shit. You know, obviously stuff has become, if we talk about capitalism, grim in ways people had previously un- not imagined. The progress that's been there is because people have gone, this is bad. I have an idea about how it can be better and I'm gonna to fight to make that happen. Mm. And yet you have to have that. You have to have the belief, that kind of the revolutionary act of optimism to drive your behavior. And it's very easy to become apathetic because stuff is bad and mm. hopelessness. Like, you know, I think a lot of us joke about like, you know, everything's fucked um, and it's only going to get worse and we're all going to die in a climate apocalypse. And we kind of- That's not but, a joke. But, <laughs> we'll <laughs> see. Well, but it's like- a, <laughs> uh, I, 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 I love but... deploying that's not a joke as a joke. That's, that's elite. That's like a kind of shared, you know, mi- sharing misery with each other uh, mm. to, to have a sense of, I'm not just on my own feeling like this. Am I? I'm not just on my own being completely demoralized because it's a it's a horrible, lonely, disempowering sensation to feel like your life is only going to get worse. We're back in the zone of like the the boomers are worried about none of us having kids again, mm. and it's like, well, yeah, no one's having kids because I don't get any money, they haven't got any job security, and a lot of people are scared of everything as bad as things are now getting even worse and they don't want Mm. to have to make their lives harder by raising the kids and then have kids who are going to have a life where they're going to have to live in water world
1: and also lately you can't predict what's going to happen in five years so you can Mm. go okay i might be stable to raise a kid now when that child's five i don't know what's going to be going on i'm raising a child during world war pandemic two
0: yeah getting hunted (laughs) by drones no no yeah
1: i don't want to have a child in a harness when i'm doing the hunger games
0: but then on the flip side having a kid is like again it's like the epitome of Revolutionary optimism, because you're like, fuck it, it is going to be okay.
1: Has to be now. Otherwise, I've done something terrible by (laughs) creating this child. (laughs) I'm fighting for an immortal soul. Right,
0: but you you know, you see what I mean. Of like, Mm. it's um, it is it is an act of going like, maybe there is a future that isn't fucked, and it has to be a future that isn't just you know, I was saying just just nostalgia for something that was already Mm. shit. Like, yeah, it would be better to be an adult in the '90s when you can just buy a house for. two pence what a limited you know like oh home ownership for cheaper like come Mm. on think bigger
1: think big you know and just to give you some like micro to complement this macro as well yeah one of the reasons that this hopelessness is like enforced and maintained we're not allowed like any plasticity on the idea that anything is that anything small can change anything (laughs) tiny anything that you think this is not that important becomes like that epicenter of a massive culture you can't like remove a statue that's like a such a small oh. thing of like you can't remove a statue or you can't go let's make how we behave in this area more inclusive to yeah. certain people yeah. can't can't change an M- M&M design to cover up child slavery you know everything <laughs> has to be like everything becomes an epicenter of a culture war because yeah plasticity the idea that just small things can change Mm. people will start expanding their horizons if you can change the city center to reflect a different set of values by removing slave traders you're going to start thinking what's next yeah you know any time that there was like a small scale but successful protest that was encouraging to larger scale successful protests that's why like So many right-wing media come down on the tiniest issues, like a ton of bricks, because they can't allow things to be like plastic and mouldable. Yeah. But the people who fight those fights and win, or people who just go, I'm just gonna tear it down, you know, Hmm. that changes the horizons as well. Because you see a little bit of a shaft of light coming out of endless fog. And I'm really interested in what's gonna happen when the queen dies. I think that's gonna be such a flashpoint for everything we're talking about. People are gonna start questioning do we renew this institution with another monarch And people are going to start culture warring. People already have, like, the torpedoes (laughs) in the chamber ready for the culture (laughs) war they're going to do the moment the Queen dies. (laughs) Everyone, it's just two armies lined up just watching this one old woman slowly dodder around until she croaks, and then everything's good. That's the starter pistol for world culture war. (laughs) (laughs) Because if the royal family can be abolished or... Just you know, not oh my re- God. I've not I've not renewed the license. Yeah, don't reduce the contract, family. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Unsubscribe so it just automatically takes you off the plan. Yeah.
0: Unsubscribe. Can you select a reason, please? Bad. Yeah. Yeah. I no longer
1: want this service. Diamond Tiara made me sad. <laughs> Christopher Eccleston had a go at her on Instagram and it cheered me up. Because <laughs> if you can get rid of the, the royal family, and that is that's like a tent pole holding oh, up the yeah, myth yeah, of yeah, Britain. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. like a tent pole holding up the 2012 Olympics.
0: Bootlicking. Bootlicking boot and a massive higher authority. Servile, like, Absolutely. just little sluggy ant people who need their and if you
1: If you can get rid of them, you feel like you can get rid of anything, because that was a big, powerful family yeah. with loads of, like, soldiers that would kick around children all day. <laughs> if you can remove that. I am dreading it.
0: I am dreading the coverage of this.
1: It's going to be awful. It's going to be awful. They're going to they're going to like hologramify pictures of the queen into your dreams. You're we not going to be allowed to
0: not. The train mourn. app going like becoming unusable but when Prince Philip died, you know, that was just a little mm. taste, a little little snippet of what's coming. And that was for that guy that no one likes.
1: Yeah. And you know, you see all these economic arguments for why we'd keep the royal family, or like, analysis, yeah. yeah, like kind of sensible moderates of like, Ugh. I know it's a footy doody system, and there are these touristic arguments, but you know, it just makes sound economic sense to keep these people around. Hell. But then when you look into it, like, even <laughs> that cost-benefit financial yeah. financial reason for keeping the royal family around, it's still operating within the frame of like the most minute change. Like a lot of the arguments about how it would make Britain poorer says, well, currently they own all this land, they own all these properties, like the Queen is a landlord, so like <laughs> there's all this revenue coming in. And all of that would transfer from this um, holding body that the royal family has, which is in part managed by the state, well, that would transfer completely to a private family. And therefore, it would be nothing to do with the state anymore. And, and, and you read that and you're like, <laughs> oh, you think oh, when <laughs> people are calling to abolish the royal family... Yeah. <laughs> We're going to let them keep yes. all their stuff. They're going to go, we're going to let them just go be this rich family who keep to themselves. And keep their lives. Yeah. <laughs> They're not going to, have to keep their heads, mate. That's political optimism. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Mandatory Redistribution Party was created and produced by Sean Morley and Jack Lewis Evans. Our title theme was created by Ella G. Thank you for listening. And if you enjoy the show, please help others who might also enjoy it find out about us by sharing this episode on social media. You can also support our work over at patreon.com forward slash Mandatory Redistribution Party, where we have extra content, including an upcoming Valentine's special next week. Honestly, thank you so much for your support. We greatly appreciate it. Farewell.